the free for all roundtable round two on round two, Tim Hudak is here, former leader of Ontario Conserv- the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association, News Talk 1010 traffic sp- specialist and personality, Adjua Nsia Yabois is here, and Toronto City Councillor, former mayoral candidate Brad Bradford. You actually came in on a bike and you rode, th- we don't call them Bixies anymore, do we? Toron- Toronto bike share. Uh, yeah, smooth ride in, the rain had pretty much stopped. There was some debris, uh, of course, on the roads and folks in the car are seeing that too, but uh, didn't get too wet, and it's a nice way to start the day. I would say you're walking the walk, but you're riding the bike. But uh, yeah, well, good on you for riding when it's uh, kind of messy out there. Uh, let's begin, actually, with uh, Mayor Olivia Chow, who was in studio earlier this morning, earlier this hour, as a matter of fact. And Tim Hunak, let me start with you on this one. It just, in talking to her about the homeless issue and the refugee issue and the funding of all of this, I began to think it's going to suck up pretty well all of the oxygen for the next few months. And, and some catching up to do, right? Because of the delay with Mayor Tory resigning, then the campaign, um, you'd be much more active early in the year to try to get funding from federal and provincial governments for their budget cycle. Um, let, me, let me first also congratulate Brad Bradford. I'm glad to have him on this panel for running and putting his name forward and putting his ideas on the table. I respect folks who stand up and try to make a difference. Uh, but look, I, I worry, though, um, John, beyond the slow the slow start to the city getting things done because of the delays, a lot of it sounds dated to me. I, I, I do worry that Olivia Chow, who really cut her teeth in the 1980s and 1990s, has not modernized her approach on key issues. So I worry about that when it comes to homelessness encampments, and I worry about that a lot when it comes to housing that people can afford. These policies that are focused on government-owned buildings, government construction on government land, that's not going to get us out of the affordability crisis. And uh, I've mentioned numerous times today that this is all too real in terms of how we're seeing the homeless situation and the refugee situation for us here on our campus because the Peter Street shelter has over the last few weeks become this cluttered mess of luggage and furniture and tents and and humans and it's it presses home I guess just what kind of a crisis we're in. Yeah, we're, we're, in a, we're in a big crisis. When you go by that shelter, you could say during the pandemic, it wasn't uh, the amount of people, luggage, suitcases that were on the streets. And now you're seeing that number just balloon. And if you're going to have that many refugees come into a country, you have to have the services in place. When people um, arrive in Canada as refugees, you're usually given shelter. There's a process. You have to go have a hearing and as well get a work permit. None of that is happening. It's so backlogged. There are so many people. It's ballooned. And of course, they're going to go to big cities. If they're coming to big cities, then the government should pony up the cash. So I agree with Olivia Chow by asking and demanding the federal government to give money to this crisis, because that's what it is. You're telling people you're going to provide a service. They're fleeing a war-torn country, whether it's political, whatever, why, wherever they're applying for refugee status give them the funds to survive or figure out a situation. You can't just say we're welcoming you and then do nothing and leave them homeless on the street. It's it's actually ridiculous. All right. Are we up to this, Brad Bradford? I mean, like I said, my real concern is I just want the city to run. And it seems we're going to spend all this time trying to figure out homeless encampments and people parked outside on, uh, on Richmond Street. Yeah, there's a lot of services that folks depend on. They want to see the trains running on time. They want an affordable city. They want to make sure that the 
parks are clean. Uh, and this is definitely, uh, you know, takes away our time and capacity to focus on those core services of local government. But, you know, the Mayor Chow is right. You know, I was talking about this during the campaign as well. The federal government unilaterally makes decisions around refugee policy. We want to be a welcoming and compassionate city, uh, but we need the resources to make sure that when the federal government stands up and makes those decisions, the city is not left holding the bag uh, and the bill. And and the challenge here is, of course, the, the Prime Minister talks about contributions that they had made previously. Well, those dollars have been spent supplying the services. And we're talking about ago. operating funds, right? This is not a capital project where you're building something or you're buying trains or anything like that. These are operating expenses that we continue to be saddled with. So it's time for the federal government to get serious. And if they want to, you know, be, be compassionate and make a commitment to supporting refugees, as we all do, you got to walk the talk. You've got to put your money where your mouth is. Step up and help us uh, make sure that we can take care of these vulnerable people. Let me do a brief sidebar here for a second, taking advantage of you being here. What is your stance or posture with the arrival of Olivia Chow as the mayor? I mean, you're one city councillor, but there are caucuses, kind of, we could say, informally. Yeah, I mean, historically, there's been a new Democrat caucus uh, the time that I've been uh, on City Hall, which was four years, and, and they would get together before council meetings and, and kind of, you know, assert what their positions were going to be. I wasn't in those meetings, and that's not a surprise. But uh, look, yesterday was a really mon monumentous occasion. Um, there were people sobbing in the room, tears of joy. Um, there was a lot of enthusiasm. And uh, of course, I, I wish uh, Mayor Chow uh, best of luck and success because I can't. Right, but you guys don't exactly have an aligned agenda. We, well, You know what? There's probably a lot of alignment on the issues. It's It comes down to the approach. And we'll talk about housing and stuff. And, you know, Tim mentioned off the top there the idea that the, the city government is going to become this big, fantastic public builder here in Toronto and across the country. I think there will be challenges with that. But we agree on the issues. I'm here to work for uh, my residents in Beaches East York and all Torontonians. And all of the councillors, I think, are committed to, to tackling the big issues. How we do that, that remains to be seen. Okay. Well, Tim Hudak, let's turn to that because it's definitely your wheelhouse at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Um, pretty well, all of the candidates talked housing, 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 but in particular, Anna Bailao and uh, Olivia Chow. Are, do we actually have a plan or is that just, uh, you know, talk? You know, a lot of progress actually was underway. And, and I know, you know, Brad was supportive of many of these policies. I worked with him in the past, uh, too. I'll give you some examples, uh, John, allowing more homes to be built on current properties, right? Right across the city of Toronto, you can tear down a wartime bungalow and build a four-story monster home. You're allowed to do that. But if you wanted to build a townhouse or a triplex, that sort of thing that, you know, first-time buyers could actually afford, you get thrown through this regulatory ringer. You throw up your hands, you walk away. So that's in progress to allow, you know, more choice and more development on properties. Properties, intensifying along transit lines. Mayor Tory was pushing that successfully. I really hope in an early test for Mayor Chow is to keep the foot to the pedal on those things will actually bring affordable housing within reach. Okay. Um, Brad Bradford, I sometimes despair, though, because I'm more than familiar with a lot of the regulations at Toronto City Hall, and to say they're Byzantine is to understate the case. It's insane what you are not permitted to do in this town. Yeah, it's a bit of a bureaucratic nightmare, and it stands in the way of progress. And 
having been someone who worked in the chief planner's right. office and an urban planner, I saw it firsthand. Um, I can tell you this week, uh, I chair the planning and housing committee for the time being. And, uh, you know, we, we moved a motion to to allow multiplexes um, to have uh, one staircase as long as you've got fire, uh, fire safety access as well uh, for a second exit. Because when it comes to these tight sites uh, in neighborhoods and we, we're looking at adding additional gentle density, some of the building code requirements and the policies here in the city of Toronto make it practically impossible, particularly from a financial right. floor space. But fire egress, it's, it's pretty radical stuff. Well, there you go. I, I, you know, tongue in cheek, radical stuff. But it's like if we want to cre- create more housing and more housing opportunities and more forms like the multiplex, which we've now permitted in Toronto, we now have to do the detailed work to understand what are the unlocks? Why hasn't this been possible before? What were the financial and regulatory barriers that were standing in the way of this type of important housing that will be much more affordable for more people. That's the type of work that you have to be prepared to do. Roll up your sleeves, get into the weeds, and figure that stuff out. Okay, listen, I want to pivot through a few other topics here. And, Adjua, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I tend to be a bit of a libertarian on a lot of files. And at the Toronto District School Board, I, I didn't even know when drag story time became a thing. But now it's a thing, and apparently it happens in schools. And that's fine, because drag queens are basically clowns. So... <laughs> What they want to do, though, there's a lot of pressure to make it impossible for a parent to absent their kid from one of these sessions. And while I think a lot of parents may come to regret doing that in the future, especially if their kid turns out to be gay, um, I think parents have the right, if they want to, to decline some instruction and some things in in their schools. It's a it's a touchy subject, but when it comes down to it, if it's considered a human rights issue, you shouldn't be able should not be allowed to opt out of it. I know there's there's saying some of the parents are concerned, uh, saying that has to do with the sex education, but drag queens have nothing to do with uh, sex education. So it's it's really a gray area for me when it comes down to it. I guess as a parent, it should be your right. But again, if it falls into human rights and infringing on those rights, then you really shouldn't be able to opt out of it. And if you're doing that, it's just it's not a good look and you should be learning and not just trying to close off your kids from the world because they're going to be introduced to drag queens and a lot of other things so just allow that it's they're just reading stories they're not doing yeah. anything sexually with your children yeah although brad bradford again i would come back to the fact i mean if parents want to take their kids out of a math class because they don't like fractions then that's still the parents right isn't it yeah i think that's right again touchy and complicated subject i can tell you i've taken our two and a half year old uh to a drag queen story time on danforth so we've already checked that box and it was actually a ton of fun she liked and, it yeah she loved it because everyone's dressing up and we're singing and you know it, it was it was fun uh, and there were lots of other families there uh at the end of the day i think you know it's a, it's a decision for parents to make and as you said they there might be gym classes there might be different activities at school um, that you know parents select not to have their kids participate in um, but I think you're right in hindsight and looking down the road you probably would look back on this and say well that was sort of silly to make that a big thing um, I don't know we, we've been to it we enjoyed it and and our daughter loved it too yeah Tim Hudak your thoughts yeah, different from Agile. I just don't believe anybody has a human right to come into a school and to, to read to kids no matter who you are, your, your background, what you wear, whatever. It's, it's really the principal's call to figure out, in, in their view, what is going to advance the curriculum and the goals of the school, including tolerance. But ultimately, then, then parents decide if they want to opt into the program or not. 
Uh, Self-checkout theft is on the rise. Brad Bradford, I'll start with you on this one. There's not a lot of time, so hopefully we can do a full go-round. But I don't find that surprising. I think a lot of people think that's just getting back at the man. Yeah, uh, not surprising at all. And you have to consider in the context of uh, inflation and increases in food prices, people are really, really struggling to put food on the table. uh, And it's getting expensive. So, uh, yeah, there is an element of self-policing, I guess, or monitoring to that. And people make mistakes. Um, But I think as we continue to see interest rates going up and grocery bills skyrocketing and food bank usage upage, you're going to continue to see this sort of stuff happening. Yeah, Adjua, I have to think there are a lot of people who say, screw it, if I have to check myself out and this thing isn't working for me, then I'm just going to take this stuff. 100% and that's what's happening. And I agree with Brad, when it comes right down to it, people can't afford food right now. So if they take one apple, they just think, oh, well, I'm taking one apple. Thanks a lot to all of you. We're at a racetrack, but good to have you this morning. Brad Bradford, Tim Hudak, Adjua, and Sia Yabois. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.